is my request You don't have to play it But I hope you'll do your best I've been listening to your show on the radio And you seem like a friend to me Party to hop off for 8 o'clock at the Greater 3UZ Sammy Show for Friday night. Okay, the time is 22 before 9, 12.72 SM with Ian Macrae in the morning. For AP and Kevin Hillier, Sunday morning, out for a couple of showers later today and a top of 25. Well, it's 27 past 12 right now. This is Laurie Bennett at 2SM. At 24 to 8 with Peter Grayson, town at the moment 17 degrees. Howdy, hi, Victoria. Stand the man. Hello. Hi and welcome once again to Pilots of the Airwaves. It is our 40 minutes or so where we get to speak to the people behind the voices who were friends to a whole generation. And today's guest was called late to the vocation, started off in a zoo, moved on to a crew, and then was part of one of the most popular, most loved breakfast duos in Melbourne. You might know him as Grubby, but today, with us, he's Peter Stubbs. Hey, Peter Stubbs, welcome to Pilots and thanks for joining us. Uh, my pleasure, Paul. Good to be with you. Now, Peter, you were born in Melbourne, but then had lived in both Perth and Adelaide by the time you were 10. Any particular reason behind the family moves? Yeah, Dad went over on business when I was five years old, went over to Perth. He was appointed uh, sales manager for WA of Dulux Paints. And uh, we went over to Perth at the end of 59 and... Uh, they were three very happy years, particularly for my parents. I think they were young and meeting lots of people. And I remember Dad had this funny little account down in uh, Fremantle called uh, West Farmers or Bunnings. He said, look, no, I'm out to nothing, but look, I'll give them a go anyway. <laughs> and uh, we, we had three very happy years there. Then he got transferred to Adelaide and we had two years there before returning to Melbourne in 1964. So back to Melbourne for secondary school at Wesley College, a school that boasts Sir Robert Menzies, Geoffrey Blaney, Chief Justice Michael Black, Professor Carl Woods are some of their alumni. So how did a young Peter Stubbs fit into that environment? Well, it's an interesting one because I was a terrible academic, but we Wesley at Wesley, even in those days when it was a boys' school, which was a little bit Lord of the Flies and all of that, um, was uh, we were encouraged to have a go. Our motto in Latin, "Sapreate" means dare to be wise, and we're actually encouraged to have a bit of a go. So, unlike a lot of the traditional boys' schools in Melbourne, and I'm, I'm not stereotyping Scotch College and Melbourne Grammar, it wasn't just all accountants and lawyers that came out of Wesley. Um, there was quite a few people I still meet in our crazy entertainment industry doing various things that uh, that went there, young and old, which, uh, yeah. It, look, I was a terrible academic, but I loved sport and I had a very good social life, let's say. Yes, just picking up on that one, one of the advantages of going to an independent boys' school, of course, was that you invariably crossed paths with girls from like schools, which in your case 
happened with uh, significant uh, consequences. Well, it did. I was very lucky. The only girls I knew, because I was one of three brothers, uh, were the girls in other private schools who wore party dresses on weekends. And that, that was it. Um, but, you know, I was always very, I think, because my mum had uh, pretty, uh, pretty forward-thinking feminist views about equality and everything else. And Dad was pretty good in that era. I was always pretty comfortable in female company. But I met my wife. Uh, yeah, she was 15. I was 16. She went to a independent girls' grammar school uh, virtually up the road from Wesley on, on the number six tram. And uh, we just found we had an awful lot in common, uh, sport being one of the major things. She's a, a terrific athlete and great fun and uh, similar backgrounds and the old birds of a feather uh, thing, you know, really worked for us. We were very, very lucky. And uh she got. She had no idea what she was getting herself into marrying me, but um, we were married, uh, you know, in our early 20s, as a lot of people were then, because you couldn't have special friends over for special cuddles in those days. Mm-hmm. So, you, so you moved out. So you moved, you got independent from your parents and you got going, which uh, we did. We did, and we're, we're still together. And, uh, yeah, who, who would have thought? But, yeah, I've uh, been very lucky in that area, I can tell you. A teenager in Melbourne in the late 60s, where was your radio dial tuned to and who was your must-listen-to jock? Um, I really, early, uh, I really liked Stan Rofe. Uh, he was, he, I think he was with KZ and UZ around about there and uh, I thought he was uh, he was pretty terrific and he was, uh, he had this really interesting voice and, and uh, Heidi Hall, Victoria and all that sort of stuff and he, he was he was the standout for me, the late Stan Rofe, I think. Um and but I've always liked my own music. Um, yeah, I'd get a, a lot off radio, particularly then. This is this is the interesting part about radio. Now I've got a seventeen-year-old grandson who has no radio station, uh, whereas we all did, and we had our transistor radios. And you know, it was very much cricket in summer on the beach on the ABC, and we'd probably listen to I'd probably three AK, three XY. Three years ahead when they were doing a bit of music um, and KZ as well. Yeah, those four through the 60s into the early 70s, I'd say. Okay, at this stage, was there any sort of ambition or thought that this radio business might be okay and I could make a career out of this one? No, because it was something somebody else always did. And uh, so I really had very little idea that I'd end up there. If somebody had suggested that, I would have thought, oh, that sounds like a good idea, but... I, it wasn't something that was on my mind at all. No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, in fact, nothing much was, but uh, <laughs> certainly not radio. But if, as I said, if someone had suggested, I would have thought, oh, yeah, seems like a good idea. How do I do that? So post-school, what sort of jobs did you do? And what was that initial career that you finally settled in on? Well, at, at 18, I left school after, a, you know, look, I was no academic. And Dad said, look, you might as well look for a job. And so I looked for a job and there was one in the paper which unfortunately, and it was 1972, and I'll only quote this once or twice because I'll get into trouble. Well, I won't, but they will. There was an ad looking for someone to join in sales and marketing in a fashion uh, industry firm in Flinders Lane in Melbourne, and the uh, job application said uh, private bo- private schoolboy preferred. Now, there's a number of things with private schoolboy preferred. I don't think you're probably allowed to say specify gender, let alone the sort of school that you went to. But anyway, I was both and I applied for this job and got it and I stayed there 
10 years, but it gave me an awful lot of responsibility at a very young age. And I was traveling around Australia, uh, helping with sales and through the country. And uh, it was pretty successful. I mean, I managed to buy our first house at the age of 22 and to live a pretty good life through my 20s. And we had children in our 20s as well. So it set me up. And, and because I was at that very vulnerable 18 to 28 stage, I had some very good mentors there in this small family company. And um, I did went uh, away, listened to a lot of radio. I listened to John Laws when I was in Sydney and I listened to uh, Lionel York when I was in Perth and they were influences. And locally uh, at that stage, I was probably listening to Dennis Scanlon on um, – 3db a lot i liked his approach and just how he said it and what he said at the time uh he had a a dry sardonic wit which i really enjoyed and uh, you know there are all sorts of people coming in and out of radio at that time and i was in the car a lot and i actually discovered talk radio then because i'd bought this wonderful newfangled device called a cassette player in 1972 and was playing all my own music that I loved and listening to, I think I was one of the few 18, 19-year-olds that listened to talk radio and I would listen to the great Ormsby Wilkins, Norman Banks, Claudia Wright shows going into work and was amazed by talkback was just starting then and I was, you know, I didn't have any ambition but I was fascinated by it at the time. I remember that very well. So no doubt with your travel on the road, you would have flicked across a number of regional radio stations as well. Certainly did. Uh, 3SH, uh, I remember listening to a guy called Harold Pratt, uh, 3SH Swan Hill, uh, 3WM Wimmera Mallee, uh, 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 3CV, uh, 3YB Warrnambool, uh, 3CS Colac, a lot of these ace radio network stations that are still going pretty strong. A lot of them are networked, unfortunately, but yeah, I did listen to a lot of those and they'd take... Um, a lot of them then would take Melbourne News. Um, I also lis- remember listening to Bert Newton and Don Lane do a very clever half hour between 8.30 and 9, and that was great. And I'd listen to Bert and Patty, I think, joined him after 9 on 3UZ in, in those days. This is sort of going into the 70s. I'm sort of trying to give you my radio background so I wasn't in it, but I was listening to it. And they, they were the people that... Uh, stood out, you know, I'd say, yeah, Dennis Scanlon, Bert Newton, Don Lane, they were the people I was listening to there, and the AW crew, uh, you know, Muriel Cooper, um, Mark Day, uh, Darren Hinch when he joined, um, you know, Paul Barber. This is all pre-Mitchell days, but, yeah, I was, I was interested in that, yeah.
So with no previous broadcasting experience, you land your first spot, then a regular gig, on one of Melbourne's best-known radio stations, on one of the hottest breakfast shows in town. So how did that all come about? Well, my brother Richard had been doing, uh, he'd, he'd done an economics degree, and he was working for a mining company, and a friend of his said, look, I know you're saving up for an overseas trip, why don't you come in and wait tables at the last laugh? Uh, and in those days, in the early 80s, in the last last theatre restaurant owned by a guy called John Pender, the waiters were encouraged to do a bit of uh, do a bit of mucking around with the audience. And they said, hey, you should do some stand-up, young Richard. And uh, so he came back from America and I think he went up to the little triad room upstairs at the last laugh called The Joke, did 10 minutes on America and everybody laughed. Anyway, there was a lot of other people starting around about then. Uh, Jane Turner, Wendy Harmer, Gina Riley, Glenn Robbins, Trevor Marmalade, people like that who were just in their embryonic uh, form. Anyway, one night a program director from 3XY walked in called Gary Soprane and he was putting together a a zoo crew type outfit in the early 80s on 3XY. it's kind of copying the Z100 Zoo in New York where each person was a bit of a character, whether it be the sports guy, the news person, the weather person, the the jock, uh, and there'd be a comedian as well. You know, it was spread around. He was trying to put together a show like that. So Richard started. He saw Richard and he said, yeah, you'll be good. To put him together initially was the great Peter Harrison. Harrow moved out of that role and then Peter O'Callaghan. Uh, came into that role and uh, Richard said to me look why don't you ring up I've got a bit of an encyclopedic knowledge of football and he said why don't you ring up and do your imitation of a, a then popular football football broadcaster called Harry Bartzel we'll ring up on your way to work and we'll that'll be the footy tips for the weekend anyway I did and I put the phone down and I said well that was fun and then they liked what I did and they said come in Monday and then they kept saying, come in, and then they got a sponsor for me. And I thought, this is ridiculous. I've still got this day job. I've got to work in a suit. Uh, and I was keeping it all a secret. He said, look, we'll give you this nickname, Grubby. And so nobody will know who you are. And you just do it. And But I got hooked, Paul. I got hooked. And uh, I would sit around in meetings, and I'd met all sorts of people, and people there were very encouraging. People like Shirley, the late Shirley Strawn and the late Peter O'Callaghan uh, were particularly encouraging. Kevin Hillier, another one who was really encouraging. He was at XY when I first started there. Then he moved on to, uh, to Fox, which was another story again. So not having any background in broadcasting, what sort of lessons did you learn from the great Peter O'Callaghan that you were able to take with you for the rest of your broadcasting career, basically? So many. Uh, so many lessons, and 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 the same with uh, Kevin Hillier. Peter O'Callaghan always had great faith in my ability. In fact, he said to my wife, he said, "Look, uh, you know, your husband's really got to do this." And uh, and so Jenny said to me at the time, she said, "You have got to do this because you will be a very painful man to live with in in uh, fifty years' time because you you'll say I would have, should have, could have, and all of that." And he encouraged me to just give it a go, but. Uh, they were just very, very good on the basics. And Kevin Hillier as well, uh, later, uh, he was another one when I moved to Fox, who just taught me, you know, your audience isn't out there. There is one person you're talking to mainly at all time. You're out there from them. They're at home. Just little basics. But I was lucky enough to feel comfortable in the medium. I think it's the best way to describe it. And uh, I considered myself extraordinarily lucky in uh, 1985, 86, 
and I still consider myself extraordinarily lucky right now. I suppose it's fair to say, Peter, that by 1985, the dominant years of 3XY were probably well behind them, but the zoo was definitely holding its own in breakfast. Why do you think it worked so well? Look, there, there were some talented people there. Uh, Peter O'Callaghan was a terrific jock uh, for a start. Richard was very good. Richard was, a, was and still is a very good comedian. And we were allowed to free flow. Uh, Gary Soprane was a good PD. He, he, once again, was very encouraging to me and uh, was a good PD. Look, we knew that uh, AM music was kind of on its last legs a bit and they brought in AM stereo and that was a bit of a furphy. We all remember that. Um, but, look, Eon had started, uh, Fox had started, and that was going to be, you know, the dominant uh, I also had a little show on XY called Kick to Kick with Trevor Marmalade and Libby Gore, who was a.k.a. Elle McFeast, which was produced by Peter Grace, uh, the great radio announcer from 3XY. And then he tipped me off to Greg Smith at Fox. So, yeah, I went and then 3XY got taken over and they went light and easy and they said, oh, 30-year-olds want to listen to light and easy. And I said, well, I don't think they do because they my friends in their 30s would rather listen to Cold Chisel, but look, th there was never an argument and they faded away and we all faded away with them. Uh, I think only Laurie Atlas probably left and then went down to uh, the Geelong station, which became Bay FM, I think, after that. But uh, yeah, 3XY was virtually wound up in, in the late 80s, which was, which was pretty sad, I thought. So you had a taste for broadcasting. Was there a burning ambition to stay in the industry or did you think that uh, possibly you might have to return back to the rag trade? Um, no, look, I was I was hooked by then. And uh, Richard was very encouraging because he'd had an offer from Triple M and the offer from uh, Fox came pretty quickly and um, I, I didn't hesitate. Um, that was XY was kind of winding down, winding up, and we didn't really know where we were. I thought, oh, well, it might, might be all over, but, you know, I've had fun. I was only going to be there for six months. Um but uh, I could have dusted off the suit and opened an agency or a fashion agency of some sort with another mate of mine who I discussed this with. And, uh, yeah, I would have been fine. And Jenny, my wife, was a teacher. She's always had work. We were, we were fine. We were fine. I was, and I was in my early 30s by this stage, so I wasn't that green. I kind of knew the run of the place. I was comfortable having a mortgage and two children and being married. And so it wouldn't have concerned me. It would have said, well, that was fun and that would have been it. But uh, uh, Fox did uh, come knocking in, um, in 101 .9 Fox FM. So in reality, it was out of the zoo and onto the crew at Fox FM. Firstly, how did that opportunity come about? Who was the lineup when you started there? And crew, zoo, similarities and differences? Well, not not dissimilar. Um, they replaced it. There was a guy called Paul Wally Weissel who was doing sport there, and he was a, a terrific rev head. And I think Greg Smith had the idea of wanting to have a bit more. I was pretty out there humour-wise. Um, and they they sort of tried me in the newsroom where I was a complete failure. 
because um, I, I wasn't a, a news person. I was just a on there, switch the microphone on person. I was terribly green when I got there. And Dee Dee, D- Diane Dunleavy uh, was there. I met her for the first time then. Uh, Kevin Hillier was in the chair. Um, I came in as well. Uh, Dennis O'Kane was doing news. We had Merv Hughes as cricket reporter. We had, uh, I can't remember who the basketball guy was. Oh, Wayne, oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. I'm sorry, Wayne. Um, but yeah, it was a good crew and they were very professional. And Paul Thompson was very much in the corridors because it was only Safam and Fox that he was running there. So he was he was very much about. It. And he was he was quite an inspirational person. And Fox did do things very well. They were they were they were driven, professional, and they were very good. And it took me a while to find my feet. I don't think Deddy liked me at all. She was a, you know, very good news person, journalist, and she thought who who the hell is this clown who got ideas above his station but I think she warmed to me after a period of time and uh, she'd become a great friend a great friend and then Kevin Hillier moved on to Triple M um, Kevin was great uh, mentor and advice uh, he moved on to Triple M and Mike Perso took over the seat of the morning crew. So it was Mike, Deedee and myself were basically uh, the crew then. Now, we all know in radio you can work with people and you can work well, but the most successful combinations are all about chemistry. So when did you and Diane Dunleavy, Deedee, start to feel some sort of professional chemistry? Look, probably in 89, we found we were we were good on air together. Uh, I could make her laugh. She, I loved her sense of humour. She's still got that ridiculous sort of, because she's English background, she's still got that uh, uh, off-the-wall English sense of humour. And, and, and we had a lot in common. Um, we found we had a lot in common. Despite our very different backgrounds, um, we had a lot in common. And, and we just made each other laugh a lot. Um, we just started getting on. And I think... It wasn't long after that they moved Didi to mornings for a little while with Barry Bissell, and Barry's a great guy, and he was another terrific mentor um, at Fox because I think he was PD when I first got there. And Simon Rufus was general manager, um, and she they, they moved Didi to mornings, and we were pretty heartbroken because we'd been together on air for for a while. But then she came back on breakfast again after that. And they were trying all sorts of things. We were up against the D generation, who were brilliant on Triple M. Um, my brother was doing mornings. D-Gen were doing breakfast. And D-Gen were brilliant. And uh, they could do, come and go. So we were sort of poaching. We were very comedy conscious. And we had a program director, Sean Pickwell, who's the late Sean Pickwell, who's a good bloke. But, look, he was down from Sydney. He was young. And he kind of didn't get Melbourne really I mean he'd we'd mention a famous footballer and he'd say I oh, just do our audience know who Peter Hudson is and I'd say well yeah, yeah you know um don't ask me questions like that and it, it was it was difficult for him and uh, he was under pressure and we were under pressure it was constant pressure there it was constant pressure but it was pressure in a good way and when you're in your 30s early 40s you you deal with it you deal with it yeah we touched on it there before, but sibling rivalry can take many forms, but probably none more public than you on Breakfast at Fox and Richard at Triple M. Interesting times, no doubt. Exactly. Well, of course, the DGEN moved on, as the Working Dog guys always have. They've always done a fantastic job and then left it there. Um, uh, Richard moved to Breakfast. And, yeah, that was interesting. It was the subject of a lot of newspaper articles. Um, 
but yeah, we're look, we're both. Uh, yeah, we, we were competitive, um, and it was funny. And uh, before Triple M and Fox merged, um, and under Billy Roadshow, it was on for young and old. Yeah, he was the he was the other person, and he had a very good uh, breakfast show. He had Bridget Duclos, Eddie McGuire, Tim Smith, um, uh, I think Barry. Um, uh, Brad McKenzie, who sort of played the village idiot a bit. Hey, look, it was very good, and he was very good. And so, yeah, we were up against it, and uh, you know, he, we'd beat them, and then he started really beating us, and um, it was on. But then merger happened, and uh, but Richard's always been a little bit. He, look, he's had a different approach to me, but he was doing Tonight Live at the time on a Friday night. I think he did 120 Tonight Lives. I used to do the warm ups for him, and. Um, on Friday nights, and you know, you were, uh, you know, you're still doing breakfast radio. It was, look, it's a pretty crazy time, but it was on. It, it it was on. So, ten years at the Fox. What were some of the highlights? Oh, so many uh, music highlights over the years, and just being part of that whole scene for ten years was great. Towards the end, um, uh, I was feeling I was about forty three, which isn't old. Sort of, if I look back now, because people tend to stay around, doesn't matter how old you are. But I was starting to feel quite age conscious. Um, I was forty-three. Daddy was about thirty. She would have been thirty-five or six. She's eight and a half years younger than me. And I felt uh, I was getting a bit burnt out. Daddy and I'd actually been moved to mornings. I'd, they'd put um, Matt Tilly and Tracy in breakfast, but then I think we were moved to mornings, uh, which is good, but. You know, we were just playing the songs and, you know, doing back announces and saying how good the breakfast show was type thing. Um, and I started to feel, well, I'm 43. I've still got kids at a private school. What am I going to – have I got longevity here? I'm playing Spice Girls. I'm not sure whether, you know, in 1997, 98, this is going to be for me for a long time. And I actually approached uh, the, general, the general manager of Gold uh, – double T at the time, David McDonald. And I said, can we have lunch? And he said, yep. And I said, well, look, I'm pretty keen and I think I can get Deedee with me. And he said, which station? I said, well, gold. And I don't think Deedee always felt she's a bit too young for gold, but then she's she's a 60-year-old who loves Harry Styles. She, she's one of those. I'm, I'm certainly not. Um, but uh, she moved over with me and she was having another baby and there was a bit of a delay and everything else. But it was extracting ourselves from Fox, they made it a little bit awkward. And there was a couple of people there who I just didn't think were terrific at uh, encouraging people to be happy and relaxed on radio doing light entertainment, if you get my drift. Mm -hmm. uh, it was, yeah, it was it was getting a bit much with some people who have, you know, moved on to greener pastures and bless their hearts. But it was, uh, it was a, uh, most of my time at Fox was extraordinarily happy. Um, but the last couple of years weren't really that happy and I was very pleased to, uh, to to move on. But, you know, had some great mates there, of course, obviously, both male and female. Oh, it's Grub and Daddy here. Thank God you found us. You wouldn't believe what happened. We're abducted by aliens. We were taken to an island full of pygmy go-go dancers. We were chased by feral foxes. It was terrifying. 
Then we met some great guys from Gold FM who said, come and play the classic hits you've always wanted. The Stones, Credence, The Doors, Fleetwood Mac and Ice. Just to let you know, we've moved to the new Gold FM. More fun and classic hits and you've had elephant rides. Wake up with Grubby and Dee Dee on 104.3, the new Gold FM. We'll make your breakfast. So as you mentioned there, 1999, turn of the century, and it's you and Dee Dee on your own at Gold FM. So what were the strengths that you brought to the desk that complemented each other? I think I think just uh, a, an implicit trust on air, um, knowing where the other ones are going. Uh, we also at that time got ourselves, we had the same lawyer who looked after our contracts. Uh, another thing we agreed on when we got there was that we would have identical contracts, absolutely identical monetary contracts. And that takes it out of it. And I remember Dee having a talk to Kate Langbrock and she said, hang on, Yuzi's getting a lot more than me. Why? You know, and, and we never had that worry. We And we did everything as a pair. We sat in the office together as a pair. We would sit down in front of the general manager as a pair. It would drive everyone mad, but we were very much a double act. And uh, there was just us and our producer, Vicky Popanaki, who'd come over from Triple M, uh, who's a terrific radio person. And... Uh, we had a – Dave Smith was our program director initially. He was a great guy. Uh, Mark Johnson was there at the time. And uh, we got some pretty good figures. I think they were very keen on the 25-54 group. We won that slot consistently and I think unusual for breakfast. I know nobody else has done it before or since. We even once or twice in the 90s um, – uh, early two thousand uh, in the sorry in the early two thousands beat station average, which is very unusual for for gold to do. Even Christian O'Connell, who does a terrific job, has still never beaten station average. Um, and Craig Huggins, of course, doing uh, mornings. We had some great friends there, and once again, initially it, it was it was terrific. It was really yeah, it was a good time. It was a good time. Okay, the important question: Who of the two of you took longer to crank up in the morning? Um. We're both pretty good. We're both pretty good. Uh, I'd usually arrive first and she'd arrive not long after me, but she'd, she'd know I was there and I'd know she was there. We really did have um, a terrific sense of trust and she would come in. I remember she'd ruptured a disc in her back and she she came in and did the show on the floor, I mean, literally. I mean, uh, she, she's a, a very stoic worker and um, very intelligent and proud of what she does but but you know we at the end of the day we've always just had great fun together we've had a lot of laughs together and had this sort of fun platonic marriage um and we've also surprised our audience a lot it's not being the the bloke with the little giggling female next to them as we've seen a lot of fm shows over the years she would be more likely to do house renovations than i would you know we, we, we look we had a different relationship and i think Sometimes we surprised our audience with some of our banter and content, and content that we did because we, we came uh, from a slightly different angle. Now, it's one thing being on-air partners for 13 years, but no doubt you would have shared some personal highs and lows together as well over that time. Absolutely. I mean, if there was any uh, so-called trouble in the camp, not that there was a whole lot in our private lives but we would share things we would share things and uh, she was a great listener and I was a great listener to her too so yeah we we, we could talk about things uh, as friends um, we were she once described me as uh, it's been like having a girlfriend with a penis um, we, we were that sort of we had that close relationship which was 
which is great. And I, and I still value that. I still really value that. I, I, I always know she was on my side. And in a, in a small, competitive, sometimes ego-driven industry, it's nice to have someone like that next year, always, yeah. It's a pretty simple formula, the old gold formula, but one that has stood the test of time. Oh, very much so. And I think, um, look, they're, they're doing really well now. I think as more and more listeners uh, to Gold discover Spotify, I think it'll probably drop off a bit as, you know, you, you don't see the dominance of a, of a so-called teen station much anymore. As I was saying earlier, mm. my grandson, who's 17, I've got another grandson, 13, neither of them have a radio station. They think what I do is radio. Uh, my, my elder grandson's really interested in learning production and doing. he's done a little bit of on-air with me. At, at AW, funnily enough, I'll explain that later, but they sort of don't listen to the radio at all. They're, it's just not their thing. They listen to Spotify and their streaming services, and that's where they get their music. My grandson says, and it's quite interesting, this is coming from a 17-year-old, he says, I would rather um, choose my own music on my computer rather than have someone do it for me and play ads in between. It, it's interesting. It's it, it's quite interesting. Um uh, but that's you know that's where he goes for his music, and so if we're in the car and he wants to listen to Travis Scott and The Weekend and uh, all those uh, Kanye West and whoever, whoever else he listens to, um, that's where he gets it from. He doesn't say, oh, "Can you turn it on the Fox for me?" Pa? Does or Nova? It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Yeah, it's a whole new generation with totally different listening habits. Hey, listen, it's fair to say that your departure from gold in 2012 wasn't initiated by you guys. In fact, you walked out of the studio and were given the news that it was all over. Yeah, it was actually the the end of 2011, December the 6th, and we, uh, we were looking for a new contract and nothing was forthcoming and we kept on getting phone calls from people friends of ours in the industry and you say, mate, I- I've been offered your job, you know, <laughs> so we were getting a little bit edgy. We'd also, um, they introduced Brendan Favola to the breakfast show without telling us. And Brendan's a nice guy and everything else, but he was a little bit much for Fox listeners then. And we, we thought that then he's done very well since and good on him. He's a good bloke, but um, he was introduced without us even being told. So the, all those signs were there. So we weren't feeling too good about it. Um, and no one was saying anything about a new contract. And uh, Duncan Campbell came down and said, um, we're going to, uh, we're not renewing your contract and uh, they, they want a new fresh sound or something like that, which, you know, I think we went out of the building, they're playing Neil Diamond. But anyway, they, were, when you look, they, they show what they like. And they, they actually offered me the drive shift uh, to do uh, without duty. And that was not on my radar at all and um, I thought well I'm 58 I've had a fabulous run I'll uh, I'll put the cue in the rack but uh, yeah look it was a little bit disappointing it would have been nice to have got uh, a sort of a lap of honour time to them said maybe in June hey listen guys we're going to make some changes but we, we we love you and we want you here and you can get to say goodbye and so there wouldn't have been so much animosity but mm. and we, that would have given us time to arrange things you know on the home front financially and uh, maybe look at some other options and you know have a have a bit more of a thing so look it, it it's the way it happened of you know looking back I've got no regrets on knocking back drive um, because you know it maintained my friendship but at the age of 58 I've got a I'm in the city, but I've got a lovely home on the coast of, at Polo Bay, which we, we love. And I would have said, oh, I'll just live my life there and 
do a bit of travel and stop the lot here. <laughs> now, sources say that you are offered a chance to do a farewell week, but declined. Is this true? And if so, why did you decide against it? I just was feeling too angry. And, uh, you know, I just I just didn't feel it was the right thing to do. I, I, I would... I. No, just didn't fancy the idea. I was just, I was, at this stage, we're a little bit too shocked and upset to do anything, and uh, we we agreed it wouldn't be the wouldn't be the right thing to do. Yeah, for, for the time. Crown King and Queen of Breakfast Radio by the Lord Mayor. Zillion interviews making people smile every day. What are you most proud of of your time at Gold FM? Oh, probably the relationships that we built up with people, and uh, the relationship that we had with each other, and the fact that we lasted a long time on an FM breakfast show and uh, we never really had a, a serious there was no tantrums um, we were we were pretty happy there I think I, I think Teddy got very annoyed when she one of the one of the things about our show is that she used to read news as well as being the co-host and which gave our show a point of difference unlike every other male female show on the FM and she's a terrific newsreader I think Brad March actually said she's one of the best in Australia. And I agree. Anyway, they brought a newsreader in and she said, with the premise, oh, this will improve the show. And she was not happy at all. And I think that's when cracks started to appear a little bit on the show. I think that was a shame. I think it it gave us, it gave, took away our point of difference. Um, And look, they weren't promoting us at all. I mean, that's, that happens and people complain about it. And look, ratings, ratings were starting to reflect that. Look, the actor maybe had got a bit tired. I could see it, but what are we proud of? Look, the longevity, uh, the friends we made there and the fact that we were able to, uh, you know, walk out with our heads held high. Uh, we were looked back as a good career. I mean, we were replaced by the then uh, mixed breakfast show, which was Bridget and Limo. And then they got rid of Bridget after that. And they got rid of Limo and Joe and they were, you know, rating number one, and they've got Christian. I mean, Christian's, Christian's moved in really well. I haven't met him, but I believe he's a bit bloke and um, he's doing really well for them. But And people still say, oh, I haven't listened since him. I, I'm, I'm sure you have. Their, their ratings are very good. So you know, <laughs> people say that. And all the, oh, never listening again. Well, yes, you are. Um, you're fine. <laughs> and, look, they've survived and we've survived. And But, oh, look, generally it was a very happy time and, uh, you know, Dave Smith, Mark Johnson, people like that, and and some others that I'm, I've met there over the time were, were great. Like anywhere you go, but you don't you don't leave with um, regrets. We had a we had a pretty good run. We really did. So one door closes, and for the good talented people, another one generally opens. This time at 3AW in the weekend break, with minimal music but plenty of chat. Now, of all the formats you've worked in, where does this one rate? Uh, number one for me, Paul. Uh, I've just loved it um, because we, I, I think we would all through music years we were told to keep quiet and now I didn't have to I rather than playing uh, Rhiannon for the 10th time that week I'm able to be a little bit more expressive and uh, with having such a great on-air partner um, I've, I've loved it I've loved it from the get-go and we've once again had to learn again so at the age of 58 59 and Didi had still had a toe in the water a little bit and was uh, talking to a few people and She's ringing up a bit and I was saying, oh, look, I'm down the coast. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. Um, and then a couple of things happened at AW, which uh, they moved Tom Elias into drive and uh, departed Darren Hinch. 
um, and uh, they it opened up for us. And so Shane Healy and Clark Forbes kind of interviewed us. I, was, I think it was on the phone as I was going down the coast. And it, it seemed like a really good idea. And I said, this is ideal. This is a challenge and this is fun. And Tommy Elliott was extraordinarily generous in helping us out when we first got there and we had a producer and we I didn't have to panel and we, yeah, this was this was good. And so we took on the show um, in, uh, the, the, uh, yeah, in, in 2012. And my first day on air was the day after the my beloved Sydney Swans had won the flag against Hawthorne. So I don't know what sort of shape I was in, but anyway, that's my first day. And um, we had all sorts of people that Tom had had as contributors. And Keith McGowan, uh, the late, great Keith McGowan, said, look, this will be a great show for you guys, but one day just make it your own. So sift through the people you really want to be there and those that you don't. Um, so, yeah, it's it, it's – we made it our own, and uh, I think it was a bit of a shock for AW listeners. Who who are these people? Not much changes at AW, as you know, because um, they've been an extraordinarily successful station, and they, their listeners don't like change. Our listeners don't like change much. But um, we were initially thought, oh, who are these funny FM people? I've never heard of them, and why have they got funny names? Grubby and Dirty, what is that? Uh, what's his real name, and why is he called that? And But we settled in and loved it. It's great. Terrific. So in each of your radio experiences, you've been surrounded by people from them to bounce off you or for you to bounce off them. Is this what brings out the best in Peter Stubbs as a broadcaster? Yes, certainly. Certainly. Um, I love talkback. I love talking to people and finding out about people. And I love um, I love interviewing and um, getting to know people. I'm, I'm not um, a particularly shy person in public or anything like that. I actually really like people. I love people. And uh, and having a bounce-off person, I had Didi with me, yeah, it looked great times, great times, yeah. So tell me, how would you have gone in a studio by yourself with a computer full of music, four hours to fill, the occasional back announce and doing weather reports? Look, okay, but I don't think it would have been all that fascinating. And I think, um, I think what... AW's uh, done, uh, as well as being a, a terrific place to be and to work and a great network. Um, it's been great to get to a certain stage of your career where you're learning new things. And the AW, one of the AW secrets is the fact that we've got very young people behind the glass in production. I'm talking really young. If uh, if I'm in my 60s and Ross Stevenson's in his 60s and Dennis Walters in his 60s, Neil in his 70s, and even Deedee in his 60s, all the people behind the glass are in their 20s. <laughs> and they're all bloody good. And we learn from them and they might say to us, hey, I remember my mum listens to you or my grandmother. Oh, thank you. That's very kind. But they're great young people. And we give them a bit of a go on air as well. They come in and do the odd thing and um, it keeps us fresh and keeps us relevant, I think. Now, speaking of young people in the industry, notice you've featured your young grandson a number of times on the weekend break. Is there a career waiting in the wings there? And if so, what would be grandfather's words of advice? Possibly uh, there would be. Possibly there would be. He's coming up, done an occasional uh, thing called Ask the Teenager, which has gone very well. People have rung up and uh, asked, why are all you kids on your mobile phones? Where do you meet girls? And his uh, answer to that was, well, presuming I'm heterosexual, uh, what I do is. And so he's actually been quite comfortable uh, on air and naturally he's got me with him. 
he is quite keen on sports and he's quite keen on production and maybe, you know, initially doing some panel up work or anything else. My suggestion to him was to find a good community radio station, which he's done in Southern FM. Mm-hmm. Uh, some very good people there. Um, and uh, so um, he's doing that. And I would suggest he gets himself up to speed technically and make himself available. And also, uh, although it's radio and it's a weird industry and everybody's a bit strange, be on bloody time and be there and be sober and be available and don't say no to things. Say yes to everything would be my initial advice. (laughs) Finally, at birth, you were given a very strong traditional name in Peter. Let's say that uh, Grub or indeed Grubby are not the most endearing names, but they have stood the test of time. Where they originate from and what was your parents' reaction to being called Grubby? Well, parents uh, just thought, well, this won't last five minutes. And dad was always right because I wasn't in management. But uh, I said, well, I can make more money on air than in management. So, um, and, and the Grubby nickname came to me, as I said earlier, with Richard just saying, look, we all call you Grubby today. And uh, when I made that first fateful phone call in March 1985, and uh, it stuck. So, and, and it's good to have a bit of a moniker through your FM days. But I, I also think as I've grown up, I've now become more... Peter, in brackets, Grubby Stubbs, and Grubby and Didi are more of a, a team brand thing, whereas I'm sort of leaning more on people refer to me as both now, and uh, and that's okay. And since I've gone solo in the last three years, it's been an enormous difference. And once again, I've learnt a whole lot of stuff, which has been great, and uh, it's given my career a, a totally new lease of life, as it has Didi's so doing afternoons. I'm still doing an hour with her on a Friday, which is great fun, uh, which I'm going to do today. Um, but being solo on the weekend, 12 hours uh, of, of talk is quite a bit, but uh, I'm really enjoying it. It's been great. And, uh, yeah, but the, the old moniker's kind of still there. But it's a bit like that guy, I think he was on Triple J, Jabber, you know, and, and he, he became middle-aged one day and had to be, you know, <laughs> he's doing film reviews on, you know, and he's still called Jabba. It's a bit it's a bit like that, but yeah, with a grain of salt. But it's look, it's been fun to have a nickname over the years. And Deddy can't call me anything else. She cannot refer to me as Peter. She just can't do it. <laughs> Okay, Peter, time for our dozen questions we ask all our guests, of course. The first one being, where were you when you heard that John Lennon had died? I was uh, in my job in the fashion industry. I was working in a building at 27 Flinders Lane and a mate of mine came up from dispatch and said, John Lennon's been shot. Never forget it. That last concert ticket you paid for? Uh, I've just paid for some, Paul, uh, because there was a bit of a stuff up with the opening night tickets to Mary Poppins, which I'd... uh, 
told my granddaughter I was taking her to, and so I've just paid for them. And I thought, geez, concert tickets are really expensive. I reckon the time before that was in pounds, shillings and pence. Yeah, the perks of the business. Hey, listen, is there any concert act you regret never seeing? Uh, Cream. Uh, Cream were a British band formed in 1966 with Eric Clapton, Jack Bruce and Ginger Baker. They were only together for two and a half years. They never toured Australia. And uh, that would have been, I would have loved to have seen them live at some stage. Okay, that word that you had most trouble pronouncing on air. Uh, Phenomenon. I'm trying to say phenomenon, that one. That doesn't roll off the tongue with me. So over this long and distinguished career, was there ever an incident on air that had you thinking that you might get those Don't Come Monday orders? Yes, I gave away $50,000 by mistake on Fox. Uh, I was doing mornings. We had the $50,000 guarantee. We will not play two songs in a row during the day. And uh, I was a little bit green on the panel. And I remember Billy Pinnell came into the uh, studio because I had headphones on pre-recording something else at the time. And Billy Pinnell came into the studio with an ashen face, uh, said, mate, I think you've played uh, Split Ends. I've got you again. And uh, the phones were blowing up. And, uh, yep, I gave away $50,000 of their money. And I thought possibly that might lead to my demise. But luckily, I was still rating well and I was still a very popular on-air person. So uh, they kept me. But uh, it wasn't a, uh, wasn't a great moment. No, not a great moment, but there you go. Yeah, well, that definitely tops the old, uh, I dropped a swear word on air, uh, excuse, uh, $50,000. Well, uh, listen, Skyhooks or Sherbet? Uh, Skyhooks, but not by much. Sherbet were a very good pop band and Daryl Braithwaite's a a good mate and I believe listens and has had a wonderful career. But yeah, Skyhooks music was great. Rolling Stones or the Beatles? Uh, Beatles, but just loved the Stones. I loved where they came from and their blues and all the rest. And but I, I cannot stop listening to the Beatles. And my grandsons love listening to the Beatles as well. Yeah, can't help myself. Peter, is there a most treasured piece of memorabilia from those early radio days that you hold on to? Haven't got one. Uh, look, I suppose I've got a few old XYZ windsheeters in the Camperwood box down the coast. And uh, yeah, they're pretty. They're pretty good. I don't think they fit too well now. But, uh, yeah, look, it's good to have stuff from those days, but not not really, not really. I haven't knocked off stuff. I think and look, I'll, I'll wait until it's all over and I'll knock off something from pretty serious and I'll keep that. <laughs> the biggest news story that broke while you were on air? Uh, 9-11. And uh, I'd actually been out the night before at a wake for Shirley Strawn, who was a very good friend, and uh, he'd... Uh, we were all out at the Palais Theatre and I'd just driven home and I tuned in and what's happening and why are all these cars outside the studio and what's going on and the you know and what's uh, why is Neil Mitchell uh, talking instead of uh, uh, Keith McGowan? So yeah, that was that was that was that was extraordinary. Mm. Okay, is there a moment someone walked into your studio and you were suddenly starstruck? Oh, so many, so many. Um, uh, Barry Humphreys, who who was a wonderful guy, uh, but he did like to know that you knew him very well. And luckily, I've worshipped worshipped him for many years and have all these books and all these writings. And so when I could quote obscure characters early in the interview, he was very happy and wonderful. But I was starstruck. Uh, Neil Finn, uh, I was starstruck. I remember one day, Crowded House uh, sang a cappella in the studio when I was at Fox, and my jaw was on the floor. Um, that was, yeah, that was terrific. But most people, um, Harrison Ford made me a bit nervous. 
Uh, Matt Damon was just a lovely bloke, talked about the footy and, and both our teams, red and white, had never won a flag and he referred to it in the second interview I did. He was just <laughs> like a bloke you'd have a beer with. Um, but, yeah, star, being starstruck, uh, look, most people are there. You think we're all, we're all in here selling something, so let's make it the best we can. And most people... Uh, I've I've really loved, you know, they've been great to know. And Stevie Nicks is a great lady, and uh, uh, the late Chrissy Amphlett, I, I loved too. She was she was fabulous. It was all it was all a front with her. She's a lovely person. Tell me the best words of advice from a program manager. Haven't really had a lot um, over the years. Uh, I think a lot of program directors uh, usually failed radio announcers. Um, Look, I've tolerated a lot of advice over the years. I've had good friendships with program directors such as uh, Dave Smith and Mark Johnson. Uh, I think Mark Johnson, he simplified things very well. Um, uh, Look, sometimes they get a bit nervous if you say something, but it's really only a worry if you're saying it repeatedly day in, day out. Um, Look, we don't really have a program director as such as... um, at, at, at ABLU and we look after our own programs. We've got an operations manager, uh, manager Stephen Beers, who's got a sort of an overview of everything. And I'm sure if I was doing something repeatedly that listeners would, would complaining about, he'd say, mate, I wish you wouldn't do such. But that just doesn't happen at AW. So I think not that, you know, everything. I, I take advice from peers, certainly still uh, to this day and, we, and will always. And I'm, I, I consider that every single day I'm on air, I'm learning something. Yeah, absolutely. Never know everything. Finally, Peter, two albums that you would consider to be the soundtrack of your teenage years? Uh, probably the Beatles' White Album, which came out in 1968, the double album, which um, was just so... You had soft songs like Julia about John Lennon's mother. You had songs like Helter Skelter. You had... Uh, all sort of a wonderful range of what they were capable of in the studio on that album. And I mentioned the band Cream earlier, their live album, Wheels of Fire, at the Fillmore, which only contained four tracks, one of which written by a guy called R. Johnson, which, of course, was Robert Johnson, who I learned, you know, was a, a great blues man in the 30s. And, uh, yeah, that, that was only four tracks on it, but it was live and it was dynamic. And, yeah, I loved that. I, I think... I was around about 15 when both those albums come into my possession and, uh, yeah, they uh, they got very, very worn out over, <laughs> over the years, yeah. Hey, some excellent choices there. Peter, thanks so much for your time today. So many great memories. We haven't even touched on the tremendous charity work you do as well. I know there's plenty still left in that tank. Keep up the good work and, and thanks again. Oh, thanks, Paul. I, I, I've sort of got this uh, attitude now um, – as long as I love it, I will do it. And right this moment, I'm absolutely loving it. And uh, I, I feel really, really privileged to be in this medium. But once I do leave it, I won't fade to grey, I'll fade to black. I'll, um, there'll be no more, uh, it was better in my day stuff, social media or anything like that. I'll, I'm, I'll be very happy to say, hey, that was fun. And uh, yeah, you'll see me walking along the beach on the coast and that, that'll, uh, that'll do me. And, It'll be a case of weren't you once someone, and I and I'll be very happy with that. I've been uh, I've been absolutely blessed, no doubt, no doubt. Hey, thanks again, Peter. Good on you, Paul. Cheers, mate. Peter Grubby Stubbs on Pilots of the Airwaves.